0: Good morning. That's more like it. You can all hear me now. I hope you're all in good spirits. I hope you're well. It's uh, nice to, to be up here once again. In a sense, it's always an honor and a privilege to serve you in this way. And it's even more fun the fact that Chris and Felice are back. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we're going to conclude the series that we've been running through the uh, summer called How People Grow. And we're going to look at the, the final as it were, chapter, there's two chapters I should have looked at today, but there won't be enough time for us to go through both, so I'm just going to go cut right to the final chapter, but over the last, what, nine sessions, Richard and Linda and I have been, we've been talking, looking at the major teachings of the Bible and how they relate to real life. You know, we've been considering, you know, teaching about God and creation, and the Bible and sin and redemption and sanctification all kind of theological words, but more importantly, how they relate to real and practical issues in our lives, like relationships and addictions and things like depression and grief and loss. How do these great teachings relate to the things that we really have to deal with on a day-to-day basis? What we've realized that is this, that with the issues that we have to face, there are no quick fixes. You do not just get them sorted out. And we live in a, a generation that wants instant gratification. We want the problem to go away quickly, but the reality is that we know we have to work through it. So, waiting for the harvest takes time in terms of personal growth. So, here we go. In Ecclesiastes 3, it says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. It actually goes on to say more than that. That he makes everything beautiful in its time. According to Henry Caroud, what is the purpose of time in the growth process? It's a long thing, but I I couldn't actually say it better than how he said it. So this is what he says here. The process we call time takes creation out of the eternal state so that the disease of sin will not contaminate eternity. And the disease of sin will be healed. And once creation is healed of sin, time will be no more. And its job will be done. And we will be in an eternal state with God. Now, what does this gift, how does this gift apply to us? And let me just say here, it's very clever stuff. What he was saying is this, you know, that God's outside of time. And when he made the earth, and it was beautiful. And it was wonderful. And then, of course, Satan came and marred that. So he had to take the earth outside of time so that Sin didn't bleed into eternity. I thought that's beautiful. Beautiful thought. And in the same way that, as it were, God has taken creation into time so that he can deal with sin, so we are the same. You know, when you come to become a father of Jesus, it says in 2 Peter, this, 1 Peter 2, like a newborn babe's crave. Pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow in your salvation. So, what does this mean? Well, the fact is that time works for us, it's the process by which God begins to mature us. Think about it this way you become a follower of Jesus, you realize what he has done for you at that cross on Calvary. You come with your sense of sin, your sense of shame, your sense of hurt, your sense of pain, and you come to him, Jesus. And you realize that he's died for you. He's stood in your place. He's become your sin substitute. And on the basis of what he's done at Calvary, the sins, the things that... Were hostile to you are removed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. That's good teaching, I know. (laughs) Right, But it doesn't stop there. You are now born anew into a new kingdom. Not born of the will of man or of blood, but of God. You're a partaker of the divine nature. But you know what? You're a babe you're just a baby. So the next step in the redemptive process is now that you mature from a babe to a man or a woman in God. This is called the redemptive process of sanctification. Now we don't like to use those big words, but that's what it is. And what happens is that for much of the Of my Christian experience, particularly from the evangelical background, we focused on the initial coming to Jesus and having your sins forgiven. But we didn't understand that there was a redemptive process. We talked about sanctification and all these great truths, but they didn't actually relate to what was going on in our lives. We couldn't do the connection. So what God's plan is here is that we not only understand our initial becoming a follower of Jesus, to use the term becoming a Christian or use that much-used phrase being born again, but God actually wants to now redeem the rest of our life. And as for those of you who've been coming here in the series, the thing that excites me is this, that in the garden we had so much that we lost. But the plan of redemption is to restore to us that which we lost so we're in a better place than Adam was before the fall. That's the plan of redemption. And you see, the enemy, Satan, has spent a great deal of time to make sure that we never ever fulfill our true potential as followers of Jesus. But God's plan is that we do fulfill that. That we become all that he intended us to be. So... What takes all the time in this growth process? Well, the first one point is we have the issue of experience versus intellectual learning. And ah, this has been a challenge for us for some time because you see In our world, we love the cognitive. We love the intellectual. So we have churches that are based around good teaching. And there are those who believe that if the taught church, people, community are well taught, they will be okay. If you read your Bible and you pray and you do all of those things, then you will change. Now, we're not saying that you shouldn't do those things. But you see, there is a gap between what you know and what you experience. True spiritual growth is holistic. It doesn't just impact you at an intellectual cognitive level so that you can show the scholarliness of your knowledge when you come to the Bible and you can quote this person and that person. It's very important. And when people lead the church, they think, oh, that's a very clever preacher. That's not what it's about. God is intentional in how he wants you to grow. He doesn't want you to just know in your mind. He wants you to know in your heart. And one of the challenges of evangelical Christianity is that we have people who have a lot of Bible knowledge, but they don't have an experiential experience of God that is deep enough to keep them in the midst of trouble. You know, I come from a generation that sung hymns. And I was just thinking about some of the hymns that we used to sing. And what, Charles Wesley, you know, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's love? Now, some of you, you know, you're thinking, what on earth is he going on about? But when I read some of those hymns, I, I realised that these guys had an experience of God. Wonderful line, My eye diffused the quickening ray. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. What's that all about? You know? Long, my imprisoned, my imprisoned spirit lay dark down in the dungeon of sin and shame. You know, but my eye diffused. What he's talking about is he had a revelation, an experience of light, the light of God coming into the darkness of his heart. And then it says he rose, went forth, and he followed. He realized there was a way out of the darkness that he was in. He had an experience. He wasn't just an intellectual encounter with God. That's why, you see, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, it says this, that the love of God should be what? Shed abroad in our hearts. So God is not just interested in you knowing about him intellectually. He wants you to experience his love. I was at the healing week a couple of weeks ago, a very powerful experience. And one of the things they were encouraging us to do was to connect with God with our heart and not with our head. And that was difficult, because you might know that God loves you, but, but they use little phrases like, how did you feel about that? And like, feel, 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 what's feeling got to do with it? It's objective truth. We know that God is good, 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 good. Yes, I know that, but something bad has happened in your life. I know, but God is good. That's the truth. I stand on it in the name of Jesus. You know, while the fact that, you know, you just lost your job, you got no money in the bank, and all the rest of it, how do you feel about that? How do you feel that the fact people took your job away from you? How do you feel about the fact that that person sinned against you? I didn't feel, I forgave them in the name of Jesus. (laughs) And, you know, that's how I was brought up. You know, you don't feel, you just, in the name of Jesus, you go on, but you don't feel. But you see, something, but that's not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to feel pain. You're supposed to experience it so that God can come into that pain. And that hurt. Okay, I got to finished today, so I better stop here. All right. <laughs> what are some of the issues that take time? Okay. Internalizing God's grace and forgiveness, and I've been alluding to it. The fact is, it takes time for you to experience God's grace and forgiveness. Now, what do you mean? most of us in fact all of us in here at some point we fail we see now what do you do when you sin you see I know what I tend to do my natural inclination is to what hide just as Adam and Eve did so if I'm walking in fellowship uh, and I'm open and transparent, Chris and Fliss and Linda and that, and I'm supposed to be at a meeting and I sin, I've got two choices. I can either go or stay home. What would you do? <laughs> I know I might say, oh, I, I just felt I need to spend some time at home. But the truth is, I actually am hiding. Yeah? Because I haven't internalized the fact that God still loves me even though I have failed. Most of us know that intellectually, but when you fail, that's the test. Because what happens is this, you will tend to hide. Hello? Do you really want to meet your brothers and sisters when you, are, you know that you've been doing things you know you shouldn't be doing, and you feel bad about it? Or you don't feel full of joy and you are depressed and heavy of heart, and you meet someone who says, hello, good morning, you're like, hmm. When we learn to internalize the fact that God is for us all the time even when we fail and that takes, it's a learning thing for us isn't it? Because our natural inclination is to hide when we sin and not want to fellowship but stay away. I remember Chris saying, oh Dennis I missed you. You Moment of truth. Am I going to tell him why or am I just going to make some excuse? You will have the same moments of truth. I'm glad to say that I just told him the truth. In fact, the truth is, when I told him the truth, this series came out of that. (laughs) Yeah? So it takes us time to internalize these things, that God is actually for us and he loves us, even when we fail and even when we don't do it right. The learning curve. We, We need repeated exposures to our new experiences so that it sinks in. So it may be two or three times before we have to learn to just be open and vulnerable and say the way it is, because before we've been used to hiding. This is true if you have been to a church where people are very critical and they expect you to behave well and no one ever actually says that they have any problems in their life, so everybody's walking around looking bright and shiny. And then you come to a church like this, and it's very easy for you to still have your heart in the church that you are in. So when you come here, you think that everybody is bright and shiny, and we're not. Because you feel shame. But the truth is, when you come here, we seek to be open and transparent with each other, as far as we're able, so that there's no sense of shock if you're doing something you're not, or you feel depressed, or you feel down and you're not on top. And what you have to learn to, to do is to say it the way it is, and it takes time to learn that. The next one is fear of truth and light. We may be afraid to focus on the truth and live in denial. You are living with a partner, and that partner is a rageaholic. But you excuse it and say, well, it's, it's me, or it's just him, or he's had a bad day. When the fact is... He's a rageaholic and he needs help, and you keep rescuing him all the time. So you're living in denial, and we actually run away from truth. And and, and Richard did an excellent job on truth, but the truth is, we need to run towards the truth because the truth helps us. However, it has to be surrounded with love. If you get truth without love, ugh, it hurts. But if you know that the person who's speaking to you loves you, and they bring the truth to you, it seems a lot easier to handle. That is my experience. As I've been working, with Chris and I, we talk, he brings the truth to me. But because I know he loves me, I can handle it. Even if it's a hard thing. Same if it's Linda, or same if it's Derek. I know that they love me, so I can handle the truth. But that's difficult for us. So we have to learn. That truth actually brings freedom and liberty. We've got to remember this. Internal changes versus external change. Internal changes of heart have the biggest impact on our external attitudes and behavior. But it takes time. And if you're changing on the inside, it may not be evident outwardly. So we have to be patient. Especially when we're working through stuff. The reality is that some of the stuff we've been working through, we've been in that place for a long time. So it's going to take time for it to change. What is another commonly asked question about growth? Well... Here's the question most people will ask How long will it take to overcome an issue? You see, this is how, the, how most of us get into the growth process. We usually find that we have some crisis, some difficulty, some trial, some test. So we come. I know, you know, I had some issues, so I got on the telephone. It takes courage to do that. And I rang Lynn and I said, Look, Lynn, I need some help with this. And I always remember her response. She said, Bless your heart. Because usually you're afraid to ring up. You don't want to admit that you have a need. So then. Henry Cloud said this. He says, when you have an issue, it takes more time than your thought. It takes more time than your thought to get over it. Because <laughs> the problem is, why most of us get into the growth process is this. i really? read it. We want answers or solutions to the pain or difficulties we're experiencing so that ultimately we can resume our normal life as before. We want to get over it so we can get back to what we were doing. Ha ha. But let's look at God's perspective on it. According to Henry Cloud, because I have to give him the credit, he says this. And this, if you get nothing else of the sermon, this, get this. For him, normal life is being in the growth process for life. Growth is not for a season, it's the heart of, of life itself. It's the heart of life itself. Friends, think about it in the natural. After this sermon, you'll be older than when it started. <laughs> which doesn't mean it's gonna be a long time. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You're gonna, yeah, because you would have grown. You would have lost cells and gained cells. Well, in the spiritual realm, it's the same. It's not like you get over the problem and then that's it. No, other things will come. It's like an onion and layers come off. And there's still more layers. So friends, we're gonna be in the growth process for life. The issue is whether you will cooperate or not. Jesus said you will have many trials in this life. So it's a given. But the purpose of it is so that God can get you to depend on him and he can get deeper into your life and bring healing and wholeness to you so that you can be what God intended you to be and to do. Well, what factors can determine how long it takes? Well, it all depends about the the first one is the severity of the issue. How severe is the issue? And what we could say here is that the worse the the issue, the longer the time it takes for it to be resolved successfully. And there's two things going on here. Let us just say it's a marital breakdown. You've got two issues going on. The person may need the right professionals to deal with in terms of the cognitive aspect, the external issues, but they may also need internal support and you need to do both and that's why it's it's important to understand that if the issue is severe it's going to take time second is the onset of the issue generally the earlier the problem the longer it will t- it will take to deal with it successfully in other words see i know in my own life see that the surface issue that I had, whether it was a rejection or a sense of abandonment, that was just a surface issue. It's God's like to work back, back, back into my life and take me back into my childhood, back to my birth, back to my conception. So the surface issue wasn't the issue. And friends, when you run with the surface issue, those of us who are actually doing this know that that's just the, the symptom. Actually, there's deeper things that God wants to get into. The other issue is the availability of resources. What resources do we have? Well, here at this church, friends, look, I have to be careful because I've been to lots of other churches, but I just know what's going on around. And I'm telling you, we have resources here. If you have issues in your life, you don't have to be afraid. If you're in a place like this, where our, our values is to be open, to be transparent, to be caring, to be non-judgmental, then this is a place where you can get stuff sorted out. This is what we've got. We've got life groups. And look, friends, let me ask you, encourage you if you're a life group leader. I don't know how you do your life group, but maybe you have some worship and you have a bit of word. Why not, when you get to the, kind of, to the sharing side, break into men and women groups and start to share what's really going on in your life and pray for one another? Be non-judgmental. Be supportive. Yes, if they need admonishment, admonishment. Do that. Because then people will want to come. Because we're dealing with life. We've got life groups. We've got some people in relational accountability groups. Where, and by the way, with, with the accountability thing, the accountability thing is not for when you just sin or fail. It's for you to share your life with that person. And if the only time you ring them up is, oh, ho, ho, I have so sinned. I've done this, that, and the other. Well, it's not great. The idea is it's that there's a relationship going on and you can share your life. You don't just ring them when things go wrong. Ring them when things are going well. And ring them before you know things are going to go bad. That's even better. Okay, we have small ministry teams which can only be accessed if you're actually in a life group. We have divorce recovery. We have restore we have books on study materials on the bookshelf. And we have our pastoral team head up by Linda. Linda and John. So all the resources are there. And what he actually says is this. The more resources that a church has, the quicker the person can move through the issue. So please avail yourself of the opportunity. Don't allow pride and fear and oh, what will people think to stop you from connecting with the resources that we've been developing. I know Linda's been developing these resources over the last 20 years. So that we can have a healthy church. Spiritual poverty. The more need, sense of need that we have for God, the greater sense of brokenness that we have within our lives the more accelerates the process of change. You know what happens? I'm in my own heart. As soon as I start to go after God and say, Lord God, what is it that's in my heart that's causing me to be like this? And I start to make calls, and I start to read books, and I start to do everything I could. And stay in that place of brokenness, I knew that God would do something to me, and he can do the same for you. And he actually says this. He says, of all the processes, according to her, this spirit of poverty which Linda dealt with so admirably, more than any other, accelerates the growth process. Well, it looks now like we're coming down to the end here. Bless the Lord. Okay. What place, what place does the past play in the growth process? Well, you know what? It helps us to take ownership of our issues. And I'm just going to bring three things it helps us to understand. It helps us to understand what's our own fault. When you go back into your past, and usually what happens is is the Holy Spirit helps you and you think about certain instances or certain things that happened to you that were traumatic and out of that you know what's your responsibility. Secondly, what parts are others' faults? I, you had a lack of affirmation or you felt abandoned or you felt let down or you had a controlling parent. That can impact your behavior now, because you may be looking for love, or whatever. And then finally, the fact is, we're living in a fallen world. You know, you lose your job, you're made redundant, I've been there, know that. You know, you lose a loved one, and that pushes you into grief. These are issues. And going back into the past, we can begin to see what percentage is ours, what percentage is others, and what percentage is just living in a fallen world. All of these are important. In terms of the past. So, what does this lead us to do? And here we come. It leads us to forgiveness and experiencing grief. What we need to do to experience healing and growth. And these are the things. First, we need to learn to let go of our debts, of the things that hold us. Our sin and the sin against us. We need to connect with our feelings. To the, and the loss and the anger. You see, one of the problems I found is this, you see. That I was quite happy to you know, forgive, but I didn't connect with the sense of loss. You know, if someone has sinned against you, it caused you pain. And it's quite, inordinate, it's quite in order for you to feel that pain. And to grieve over it. And have the anger come out. Especially for losses that cannot be changed. And then we need to bring it to the cross. The hurt, the pain, the shame. You know, friends, it's at the cross. Because Jesus, he experienced it all for us. And we can bring it there. And we can leave it there. We can receive the forgiveness for our contribution that we have made. And sometimes it's good to pray that through with someone. And then finally, we can ask God to heal that place of hurt and bring it back to life by the Holy Spirit. These are the things that God wants to help us to do so that we can be healthy. And you know why we're doing all of this? Because, you know, we have... A kind of seek his that God is wanting to bring revival because the Bible says it. But what we noticed is that when the church starts to look at themselves and starts to deal with their sin and starts to go after God, it's the fertile ground on which God pours his spirit. And what we're praying for is that God would send revival. And the seed of that is when we break up the ground of our hearts and we begin to see who we really are and we begin to allow God to change us and we allow situations and circumstances that seem negative to work to good in our lives so that God can mature us so that we can become what he intended us to be. Jesus said this, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you what? Free. The truth will set you free. Amen. And the truth is this, that as we learn to be vulnerable, as we learn to be humble, as we learn to depend on God, as we stay connected to him, as we're open and transparent with each, one another, with each other, as we confess our sins to one another and pray for another, that's the kind of church that God will send broken people to because his plan is that there should be a visitation, a revival that we have never experienced in our lifetime where he sends hundreds of thousands of people to us who are broken also and we know what to do with them because we've been through the process ourselves. I said to Chris in the car was picking up, I said, wouldn't it be something when they read the annuals of time, uh, the annuals of time are opened up and they read about St Albans, that there was a revival in Hertfordshire. And it started in a church called The Vineyard. And it flew, and it flowed out from that community into Hertfordshire. And it went on and touched the nation. And God did significant things and changed people's lives. And when they went to the horn, you couldn't get in there because God had come down in power. We couldn't do two church services on a Sunday because people kept turning up. They wouldn't go home. We had to do a midweek service and God was on, was on the move. People were getting saved. That's what we're praying for. And that's why we're prepared to do the work. And friends, I hope that this series has been helpful to you. I hope the book has been helpful to you. I hope it's helped you to connect with God. I hope it's helped you to love God. I hope it's helped you to love his people. And what we pray is that God will help you to become the person you were meant to be. Could the band come up? Please stand. Yes, can. <laughs> Father, we want to thank you and bless you that you're a God of growth. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your son for us in the fullness of time. Thank you, Lord, that your plan is for us to become the majestic creatures that we were meant to be. And Father, we commit ourselves to you as, the, as your people to do the hard yards to face the things that are not comfortable so that you can work in us that which is pleasing in your sight, that the honor and glory may go to your name and many may come to the knowledge of the truth about our God. Thank you, Lord.